0: You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to the Maximum Advisor podcast. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today we're doing a best of episode. These are my takeaways from season three and what a season it was. To start things off, our theme for the season was really knowing who you are and knowing whom you'll be most effective at reaching in order to break through and make a valuable connection. In our first episode for the season, we had Benjamin Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who is the author of Personality Isn't Permanent, Willpower Doesn't Work, and his newest book, Who and Not How? Now, Dr. Hardy really kind of talked to us about the importance of being more defined by the future that we want or that future you that we want to be rather than our current personality tests as defined by lots of the things that we might otherwise find out
1: in the world. People were a lot more contextual than that. And so they can lead you to being mindless, but more than anything, what they do is they lead you to trying to confirm your current identity. Over and over and over again, you really try to solidify and confirm your current and your former identity. And that stops you from pursuing a future identity. And it's really important for decision-making and obviously from a financial standpoint. Right now you have current preferences. And actually in the past, you had former preferences. Your preferences right now, your priorities, your goals are probably different from what they used to be. But your future self is the same way. Your future self has different preferences and priorities and perspectives than you have right now. And Hal Hirschfeld, who's at UCLA, he's found that it's, you can't make good decisions today if you don't know who your future self is tomorrow. Like if you don't know who you want to be in the future, then it really doesn't matter what you do today. And I think this is why financial planning, honestly, and you know, just as a plug is really key is because you're literally shaping a future situation and a future self. And you can use that as the benchmark for what you do today. And so. Rather than overly owning your current identity, it's actually a lot more powerful to frame out who you want to be and using that as the benchmark for who you are today.
0: Ben, uh, I think that's a great place for us to put a pin in it. One last question. We're an action oriented podcast. If folks wanted to take one step today towards making these changes, looking at things differently, what one thing would you suggest? and, And you've mentioned a handful of good ones that people do as a first step today to
1: begin kind of on this path? Pull out your journal. If you don't have one, get one. And write about who you want to be in three years from now. And be explicit and honest about it. If you want to take a second step after you've taken that 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes to do that. And by the way, you'd be really excited if you defined your future self two, three years from now. And we're excited about that future. If you want to go one step further, start telling people about it.
0: You know, I really found Dr. Hardy's advice on journaling and spending time figuring out who it is that you want to be to be an incredibly important way to get started. Yeah, it's something that I did after our interview really kind of got a lot clearer. And I thought that that was a great way to really work through the planning process. Now, next up, we have Duncan McPherson. Duncan is the CEO of Pareto Systems. And in our conversation, one of the things that we really got into was using the 80-20, kind of that Pareto principle, that 80-20 rule on your time, not just on dividing up and segmenting your client relationships.
2: Yeah, great observation. And you're absolutely correct in that some of the messaging and the positioning has evolved, but the core chassis remains the same. And part of that is because of stage of readiness. It's amazing how many people I meet who I crossed paths with 10, 15, 20 years ago and they weren't ready to take action and implement but we just sort of developed this virtual relationship and then the alignment of interest kicked in and and now they work with us. So you're absolutely correct there as far as the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, it's got so many layers. One of them, and it's probably my favorite, Jim Rohn one of the most timeless personal and professional development philosophers ever, he said that time is more valuable than money. And as I apply that to 80-20, I remind our clients that 80% of their productivity stems from about 20% of their activity. They have most of their impact in about an hour a day. And I want them to have mastery for what goes into that hour. And that means two things. How they are expending their time and staying in that lane and letting that compound. And then to whom they are allocating their time. So if you think of 80-20 on the client side, if 80% of the business comes from 20% of the clients. That's an addressable audience. And I would call that client someone who deserves you. The 80% who generate 20% of the business need you. And the key is not to spend time with people who need you at the expense of the people who deserve you. Not being disrespectful or elitist in any way, it's just in your enlightened self interest in those 24 hours. You're trying to competitor-proof, maximize, and replicate the ideal client. So how you allocate your time, where you're allocating your time, that's a core element that comes out of the Pareto principle from our perspective.
0: So looking at it from a time perspective, and I think it may have been you that used the example of how much back then Tiger Woods, how much time he actually spent hitting the golf ball relative to a round of golf. And that was something that stuck with me. And I'm thinking, as you're saying that, if the average advisor, let's say, really works an hour a day at their core specialty, and if 80% of the revenues by 20% of the clients, but it's also by that small sliver of time, it seems to me that by expanding from one hour to two even, of the right kinds of things, would give massive upward momentum without talking about working 16, 18-hour days. Am I right?
2: It's a great point, actually. And you're right. I mean, the diminishing returns that come from the 12-hour days, again, Jim Rohn said, don't major in minor things. You know, you go to a dental office, you see the dentist for five or 10 minutes. And you don't feel offended. You just understand. Everyone knows their role and responsibility. It's all part of the client experience, but that dentist stays in his or her lane. They don't micromanage. They do what they get paid to do.
0: You know, Duncan's advice, don't major in minor things, to use as a way to really enhance your growth was something that I found really interesting. You know, if we wanna grow, we have to focus on spending a little more time, but doing it on the right things. And one of those right things kind of came up in our conversation with Dave Grant. Dave is the founder of Retirement Matters, an RIA that focuses on folks who are at or near retirement. And one of those right things that we really need to spend more time on is getting absolutely clear on your goals. And Dave was definitely someone who had kind of lived enough to have gotten really clear on what was important to him and what wasn't. It goes to show, I think for advisors who are listening, you know, most of our episodes thus far have been growth oriented. And uh, I think that your story is interesting because you grew to the point where you were happy. And Mm -hmm. I think that for me, I think I would say to our listeners understanding what your personal goals are and what makes you happy is a good way to begin building the business plan. One of the benefits of being in a business like this is to be able to build your business around your life rather than the, just the other way around. And I think it's a real struggle for a lot of, of advisors. Have you had a lot of feedback from the article, Dave?
3: I have. I mean, there's people saying this was really refreshing to read. It was something I'd not really thought about myself, but it's interesting to see how you're trying to do it. Some people have said, well, how do you do it? Like, how are you prospecting for new clients? And I then take them back to say, well, I didn't just do this overnight. Like I've been working on this for the last probably seven years. And it's just now become a reality. Because what I've been doing is generating a lot of content that is all on my website. It's on YouTube, it's everywhere else. So I have a big web out there that is pulling people into my website. And I still get leads from content that's a couple years old. And I'm still able to bring in new clients without actively going to search for it. So that's how I'm still able to grow and get a lot of time into my own hands.
0: And do you find advisors reaching out and thinking that it's something they might want to emulate?
3: Some of them. Others are like, you're crazy. Why would you not want to earn more money? I'm like, well, that's you. Like, that's sure. that's fine. If you want to earn more money, that's great. Just sure. realizing what you may be giving up for it. You know, you sure. may be working 50 to 70 hours a week if you really wanna earn the most amount of money you can. That's not my MO. That's not what I want at all.
0: Up next, we had Dennis Mosley-Williams. Dennis is the founder of DMW Consulting and the host of the Serious Shift podcast. And he's actually one of two experts in the world specializing in the experience economy and financial services. And so Dennis gave some great advice on really designing the art of the before, during and after experience of a client meeting. So let's
4: start with this idea. And the idea is that experience is time well-designed, okay? Experience is time well-designed. The hallmark of an experience is a memory, what you look back on and reflect on. And I said something else a couple of minutes ago, where I said, my three questions are, what do you do for whom? And the third question is, What change do you help create? So if we look at this idea that experience is time well-designed and how do you turn something as mandatory and required and seemingly ordinary, a word I don't like to use, as a review meeting, I'd say, okay, well, let's start at the very beginning. The question becomes, if you wanna turn this thing into an event, what is it that you're thinking about versus worrying about before the meeting even starts? In other words, on the enticing stage, weeks before this meeting, when you say, hey, this meeting is coming up and we're going to see each other. Well, what do you put in the hands of your clients to get them thinking? You are what you charge for. So right away, if you put a bunch of fund reports and prospectuses and charts and graphs in someone's hand and you say, please review these before you come in. Well, not only are you out of touch, you're not giving anybody anything they're going to get excited about. So I suppose the first thing starts with, well... What change do you want to create? What are you wanting to teach people that day? In addition to the technical, here's what's going on with the markets. What else is your practice about? What are they going to learn from you that day? You should be thinking about how you can make it more fun. These are the realms of experience, education, entertainment. How can I make this more fun? Okay, think about escapist. How can I momentarily transport my client from one sense of reality to another, which actually lends itself to financial planning because we're always thinking about the future. And finally, aesthetic. What can I do to encourage my client just to linger? So it starts with this. I I always use my wife and I in these examples. If I'm coming in to see you and I've never seen you ever, the question becomes, who are you trying to help me become? You're not gonna necessarily come right out and tell me that on the phone. Dennis, I'm gonna transform your life what you're going to be telling me on the phone is you know, that we're going to have a really great conversation. It's going to be based on fit and all these things. The question becomes what do you then put in my hand that tells me a little bit about you and what you're about? And just based on the questions and, if you will, the pre work you're getting my wife and I to do before we come and see, what does that tell me about you? And what can you put in my hand so that I say to Sherry, oh
0: my gosh, hey, this
4: is really cool?
0: But you know, the truth is, that the client experience doesn't start until after someone becomes a client. A big part of getting new clients is using what I call a message amplifier to let them get to know the real you. And in our conversation with Matt Halloran of Top Advisor Marketing and the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast, we really got into the importance of getting clear and conveying to your prospective clients, exactly who you are and what you're about. When it comes to becoming a micro-influencer, what in your kind of mind is required to become that, to develop that niche? I believe it's
5: a passion. You have to have a very strong passion to help a very specific group of people, and it's easy to uncover it. I believe that going through our discovery process, you will find out what your niche already is. Because the question is for all of your listeners, who are your favorite people to work with? And whether it could be quantifiable or qualifiable, it doesn't matter. Quantifiable is easier from a marketing perspective, but qualifiable, if your favorite people are spiritual family-based people who live in Southern South Carolina, who love to boat and who generally are small business people, Man, that's a hell of a podcast, right? Because you know all of the hot points of these people. When you look at your top 50 clients and you tease out what makes them your top 50 clients, it can't just be assets under management. If it is, then you're missing the whole point of what you do for a living, in
0: my opinion. It's about what you do to help those people. And so it's not just demographics. It's almost more of a sociographic or a psychographic. That's correct. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't know that we really segment a lot of times in that way. I, I think that it's interesting to me because it sounds like your discovery process kind of takes folks into a different level of paying attention. Because as you were talking, I'm thinking about my clients and wondering in my head what that thread is for all of my top folks, because they're not all business owners, they're not all doctors, but they are all, I guess in my case, people who believe there's more to life than money. Now, there's not anyone out there that I know who is more clear about who they are and what they're about than Meg Bartelt. Meg is the founder of Flow Financial Planning, and I really enjoyed my conversation to her because She really was incredibly dialed in on not only who she served, but how she wanted to serve them and what she could do better than anybody else in terms of communicating and participating in the communities that she wanted to serve.
6: So I started with zero clients and my marketing has been primarily content marketing, right? There are not enough women in tech in Bellingham, Washington for a viable business, which is why I am a virtual business. The fact that I'm virtual and all my marketing is going to be on the intertubes means I have to embrace content marketing. And so that's what I've done since day one. I just drank the Kool-Aid about you've got to have content marketing and go out there and just provide value where you can online. And so I've done that consistently since day one. And the first year just sucked. I mean, it really did. I got very few clients. I don't know if I got fewer clients than like the average advisor just starting from scratch. But man, it was not a lot. And it was really hard emotionally because, you know, as the metaphor goes, I was planting all these seeds, but I couldn't see anything growing yet. I didn't have any reassurance that what I was doing was actually worthwhile. And it wasn't until probably month 10 that I got my first prospect call request from someone that I didn't have some sort of social connection to. That person had found a blog post I had written and that like just changed my mindset. I was like, oh, this works. And it wasn't that it took off from there. It was just that was when the flywheel started to turn and it just sort of gradually faster and faster. Until now, it's actually quite easy to do the marketing, the prospecting, because I have this sort of existing wealth of information spread across the internet that has my name smeared across it.
0: For sure. And I think that a big part, it sounds like that changed was all of a sudden, just that little bit of success is a tipping point to your confidence. And so all of a sudden, you're willing to, I would think, Go in just that much farther because you're starting to see kind of that compounding effect of all the things that you've done.
6: Absolutely. I mean, there's just been this iterative process since the beginning that the more success I have with attracting women in their early to mid career in tech, the more willing I am to be really specific in every aspect of serving them. No, I will not vary my service to accommodate this different kind of client. No, I will not change my fee model to accommodate this different kind of client. No, I will not write generic blog posts about whether it's better to be pre-tax or Roth. Because yes, there is this, this just cumulative confidence that builds every time a woman in tech tells me, I saw your blog post or I saw your website and it spoke to me. I saw myself in that description.
0: I hope anybody who's listening would rewind and, and listen to that again, because I think that's one of the things that we don't tell people enough is that authenticity ultimately is you know people just want to be heard and, and we aren't any different, and I think that by speaking our truth, it's much easier. I'm not very investment centric that's not my thing. my partner runs our portfolios, so my clients don't ask me about that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and so you end up with, particularly in your case, the ability to really just speak directly to somebody. And I think that that first time that anybody that you don't know, yeah, I still have the first client I ever got. It's been twenty-two years that wasn't a family member or a friend of my parents who gave me more than a hundred thousand dollars. Like I still call him on holidays. I mean, it's just one of those things that it's such a big thing when all the work pays off. And and so in the recovery community, they say, don't quit coming before the miracle happens. And and Mm. I think that your example is a great one of how that's also true in our business. Now, you talked about being hard starting off. Are there still difficulties now? I mean, what would you consider to be your biggest kind of struggles or obstacles?
6: Yes, there are always struggles. They just change and I certainly would not trade them for the struggles in the first year of just having a crisis of confidence of whether this was even going to work. I don't collapse into a puddle of tears huddled against my husband saying that maybe he needs to go find a new job now anymore as I did in the first year. I've had tremendous combination of lucky timing, skill, whatever it is, my prospect funnel, my client growth has been consistently good. We regularly have a wait list because we really meter the number of new clients who we're were willing to start with every month. So I think for me, probably the biggest struggle is that tension between just this desire to grow as fast as I can, just grow, 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 more clients, more money, more prestige, bigger, bigger, bigger. Because I think especially as I'm still so young in my firm ownership, there's just sort of an addiction to growth for growth's sake.
0: You know, now more than ever, it's important to be clear on who you are, on who you want to serve, and on what your experience will be like. When I think about it, it's just such an awesome thing that we have the ability to design it. And in this season, not only did we see some good examples of people who have done it, with Dave and Meg, but we also got to hear from a lot of experts on how to do it. But one of the things I think is most important and one of the biggest takeaways for me was going all the way back to that first episode with Dr. Hardy and remembering that when we design these things, we want to do it from the position of our future self. Really thinking about who it is that we're gonna wanna be, where we're gonna wanna be, And then working backwards to do all these other things guided by and in service of our future self. I really appreciate you sharing your time with us because I really think that it'll be beneficial to your future self. Big part of season four, just as a preview, is my opportunity to interact directly with some of you. And so we will be doing some hot seat episodes next season where I'll do basically a 30-minute kind of a free coaching session with one of our listeners who has a question or something that they want to work through or brainstorm in their practice. If that's something that you'd be interested in doing, just go to the Maximum Advisor website, maximumadvisor.com, click on the hot seat button, and book a time. I'm looking forward to really increasing our interaction together and improving the podcast in service of your future self. I'm a big believer that we're better together, and I look forward to seeing you again in season four. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And
2: subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.